Hey, Coach Arlen here. What do Walt Disney, Andrew Carnegie, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and FDR all have in common? They shared one secret that propelled them to achieve remarkable success. They each belonged to a mastermind group. If you've never experienced the power of a mastermind group, now is your opportunity. Join my business success mastermind group today. New cohorts are starting soon. To learn more, go to ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. The Courage to Lead, episode 231. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Karen Chaston. Karen Chaston was a CFO, a CPA, and senior manager for more than 25 years. In 2011, her life changed forever, and she found herself on a road to a personal, professional, and spiritual journey, culminating in becoming a beyond-loss life coach. Karen is the founder of the Chaston Center. She is an international speaker and a best-selling author. Karen's firsthand experience assisted the Chaston Center in creating retreats and programs which demonstrate the correlations between loss, people, and all areas of life. When individuals embrace these concepts, they will easily move beyond any kind of loss and create a better everyday life. When companies embrace these concepts, they unlock the people and profit connection, providing tangible solutions that will help them to make the best possible product, offer the best possible customer experience, and build the strongest possible company. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Harlan. I'm so excited to see where we go today. Absolutely. No, this is going to be fun. So a wife, a mother, an author, a speaker, um, you share the stage, right? Because you do keynote speaks, right? Marianne Williamson, Jamie Lee Curtis, Valerie Harper, Dr. Ellie Drake. And you're the author of eight books. Yeah. What do you do in your spare time? Exactly. Well, I have a son on the other side. He just guides me and it all just comes in really easily. It all just happens. That is awesome. All right. I want to talk about all that. Like I said, how what what got you to where you are now, who you work with, how you help them. But before we get into all that, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Now, listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these very same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Karen, if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. Okay. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Serendipitous. Nice. What is your least favorite word? Mm, um, Can't. C-A-N-T. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What turns you on? Um, helping people. Nice. Yeah, I love it. Watching nice. people grow. Yeah. And what turns you off? People telling me that they can't do something. Yeah. I will, I'm okay with, I, I don't want to, but can't always bother me. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. What sound or noise do you love? A child's laughter. Nice. And what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, I guess a um, an emergency vehicle, you know, an ambulance, fire, yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Um, I don't use it a lot. I used to more in my corporate work, but I only ever use it to put a point across, and that's the F word. Okay. <laughs> All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I wish I had done psychology. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? Um, oh, a minor. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Okay. It does exist. And a high five. You did it. You achieved all that you went down there to achieve this time. Absolutely. This time. Perfect. Yeah. Um, And you have achieved so much and I'm, I'm I'm excited to get into it. Um, So let's take a short break here. When we come back, I want to talk about how you got your start, um, the things that you're doing now, who you work with, how you help them. And at some point we'll transition into courage and leadership. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Listeners, we'll talk about all of that and probably a lot more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Karen Chaston. Karen, thanks so much for joining us. Um, You're in Australia, correct? Correct. In Queensland, Australia. Very nice. Very nice. One of these days I'm going to get down there. It's on my bucket list. So... You're an author. You've got eight books available. I looked at on Amazon on your author page. It paints a familiar picture, I think, for corporate um, people that everybody can identify with. Said that uh, you're perceived to be very successful. Actually, she was living a Groundhog Day existence, working, eating, drinking too much, always in fight mode, her masculine totally denying her feminine side, running on empty, not fulfilled, not understanding that adrenaline in a woman's body causes burnout, exhaustion, and disconnectedness. I bet that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, like it, it does the same thing in a man's body, but it's just 10 times worse in a woman's body. It's and, incredible. And what, why, why do women feel like they have to do all of that? And I guess men kind of do too, but women seem to take on that mantle a lot, a lot more than men. What is it? Yeah. Why? Why do you think women do that? I guess it's because we really haven't been in the workplace all that long. If you sort of think back, you know, we really came in in full force after the Second World War. And, well, we actually took on a lot of roles during the Second World War because men were not around. And then it was like, well, yeah, I'm getting my independence. I'm finding my voice. and, And this is the business model on how you succeed. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't have the courage to say, do you know what, this isn't going to work for me, mainly because we had to do it the way men did and we had to do it more and more and more for us to be recognised. And the ones who did stand out, unfortunately, became very masculine. So that was our ro- role model. So, well, if we want to be successful like them, that's who we have to follow. Yeah. 
which but now the pendulum is, is swinging the other way. Now they're saying you need to be more, not feminine, but you need to, there's those soft things that we've kind of let go of. Yeah. Empathy, right. And, and, and the social type things we're starting mm-hmm. to swing back in that direction where that's the thing that they're trying to teach these executives now. Yes. It is. And it's, it's humility. It's empathy. It's understanding who you are and being authentic to who you are. And that's what I find a lot of men and women are struggling with at the moment. They are like, who am I meant to be? But I know when I left my corporate life, I looked in the mirror and I went, I don't like you. I don't even know who you are. And that's when I started on that journey, which I call the journey to becoming my own best friend. Because you're always great to your own best friend, aren't you? The things you say to them, the way you talk to them, the things you share with them. And unfortunately, a lot of the times we don't speak to ourselves the same way. So I really modeled, okay, I'm going to become my own best friend. So what are the traits and what are the behaviors that I really want to embrace in order for me to be able to look in the mirror every morning and do the old Fonzie salute, you know, where you look there and you go, hey, you're looking good. Exactly. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. But yeah, you said you were a busy executive for over 25 years, but then in an instance, everything changed Yep. and put you on the path you're on. If you don't mind, can you share that story? Yeah. So what happened, it was um, the 10th of July, 2011. My husband and I woke up. It was a Sunday morning thinking we were going to have a lazy day at home. But unfortunately, within seconds, I was rushing out the back door, looking at my 27-year-old son, Dan, lying there in the fetal position with saliva coming out of his mouth. So we thought he was alive. But within moments, the paramedics arrived and they, they just said those words that no parent ever wants to hear. Sorry, madam, he's dead. He probably has been for several hours which, you know, we thought a healthy 27-year-old Dan had gone out with his mates the night before, separate to what he's, separate to his girlfriend. They both had two different events on. Um, for some reason, he left his key at home. He texted her and she um, left it out for him. We found out a long time after. Actually, Dan actually told me how he really passed. And probably about three years later when I had a three-way conversation with him, which was totally amazing, totally enlightening. But he had come home, he went to pick up his key, he fell over, everything shook up. Yes, he had drunk way too much, but it wasn't that that killed him. He um, His lungs failed him and he went to catch his breath and he couldn't catch his breath. Two years earlier, he'd been in Scotland and he had pneumonia and had spent a week in hospital. Mm. And, you know, at the autopsy the next day, they said that his lungs were so bad that, if he'd smoked full on for, say, 10, 12 years, which he hadn't, um, he couldn't have done quarter of the damage of what the lungs were. So, yeah. Wow. Hmm. But, you know, yeah, me that's... being my busy, executive, know-all self, I went to work the next day after his funeral. I just worked harder, ate more, drank more, and I just carried on. And then 15 months later, the universe were like, hey, you were meant to wake up then. Now you haven't. Here's another loss event we're going to throw at you. And I know that if I hadn't listened then, I would have had another one and another one and another one because I was so deep into the persona of the corporate woman um, that I it took a while to wake me up. So the second loss event came in the form of 
the company that I was working for was merging with another and it was a publicly listed company here in Australia. It's a pub group, which is like a lot of hotels, um, mini casinos, I guess you can sort of class our hotels, our pubs as over here. And we had 35 leaseholds. And we were merging with another publicly listed company that owned 20 uh, freeholds of our pubs. And so the Goldman Sachs Consortium was bringing them back together. And in that process, they said to me, Karen, you're not going to be CEO in the new company, but we really want you to come with us. We, You'll be doing everything you're doing now plus more, and we just love you and, and please come with us. And I just went, well, I don't care what my title is. Yeah, sure. Until they gave me my contract. And they gave me the greatest gift you can give to anyone. So I quickly turned to the salary page and I looked at it and I sarcastically went, I can't do this job part-time. And they're going, we don't like your sense of humour. We never really have. You know it's a full-time job. We've valued the salary and that's what the salary is. And it was two-thirds of what my current salary was at the time. So I was angry for probably about a day, a day and a half, and then I slowly started to come out of what I called my Groundhog Day days. And I started to realise, you know what, you're not loving your life. You're overweight. You're always angry. You are working way too much. All of your other areas of life are just there, but they're not great. You know, every single relationship needs some work on it. So I just double-checked that I could get my redundancy payout, which I did, and I said no. And it was the greatest gift. Unfortunately, I had a contract where I had to still work six months of that. But mm. um, and I and I should have I, I should have told them that, you know, everyone else who is is leaving, you let them leave and they only had a month's notice. But anyway, I honored who I was. Um, and during that process, I slowly started to come out. I started to find I guess, my group, you know, where I learnt so much through this group and where I got that opportunity to speak on the stage with Marianne Williamson and and Ellie Drake and all of those sort of amazing people. Um, I even, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, oh, my God, she's the most amazing person. You, She is, everyone knows who she is, right? It's pretty hard not to. But she would talk to you like, you know, we had a photo taken together and I had a... A, a necklace that sort of swung. And as I walked up to her and we were about to have our photo, she said, wait a minute, Karen's necklace isn't straight. So she turned to me, she straightened my necklace and she said, okay, we can take the photo now. That's how amazing she is. Most Hollywood stars would go, I look good. I don't care. Anyone else looks exactly. in this photo. And it was she, was, she was just such an amazing person. But, you know, and that's where I learned about adrenaline in a woman's body. It's what I've learned about women and I was like 54 and I was like, how do we not know this? Like, how do we not know ourselves biochemically? It's, it was just, it's, we need to know this. And we, especially women who are starting their career when they're in their early 20s and they start to take on these masculine traits and run with it. And then when they come 35 and they look, oh, okay, I want to have children. And then they can't. It's because of the way that you have been interacting in your body. And it's really important for people to know this. Know this. Lucky I had my children when I was young. Otherwise, I probably would have been in the same boat. And you look at IVF and you think, why is this all happening? Because of the way we don't understand ourselves biochemically. Yeah, I don't think we understand how all of that impacts our bodies. Exactly. Breathing, simple yeah. things, breathing, sleep, I know. the food that we eat, everything. 
It is. You're so right. And, you know, one of the, the breath, you know, we all breathe, but we've never been taught how to breathe. We shallow breathe. We don't breathe deep into our belly. And that's where, you know, all our intuition is. And you've got to breathe into it to find it. And it's, it, it really is amazing when you start to understand who you are. I have this favourite book of mine, and it's called uh, The Secret Language of Your Body mm. by Inna Segal. And I think it should be a dictionary where everyone has it in their home because any ailment in your body is related back to an event, an emotion, something that requires healing. And this book deep dives into it. And I, whenever anyone says, oh, I've got this niggle, that, I'll look it up and I'll read it and they'll go, yeah, that sounds like my life. Wow. So it really is telling you how to heal yourself. It's sort of the the next version of Louise Hayes, Hayes' You Can Heal Your Life book. So it's amazing. Interesting. That is cool. I, I wrote that down. I'm going to put that link in the show notes so people can. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's not my book. It's Inner Segal. But it's yeah. an amazing thing. I've learned so much from her. So, nice. yeah. So during your studies, you learned a lot of different things. Yeah to now be able to help help women, help people, help businesses. Yes. Um, tell me some of the things that you learned, some of the different classes you took. Yeah. Wow. I've got so many, so many uh, amazing mentors, you know, like uh, Dr. Martini, uh, Wayne Dyer. There's just Ellie Drake. There are so many people that I've deep dived into and, you know, Inner Segal, so many things I've read. And then I, when I was doing my Speakers Institute training, and this was after I had spoken on the stage in America mm. to 1,200 women, I wanted to deep dive more into it and become, you know, even more polished for my speaking career. And what I found was I, I thought I thought when I did my um, life coaching, I thought that originally I was going to be working with women, you know, helping them to stay in their essence. But as it didn't take off, I had this amazing marketing lady that said to me, Karen, why aren't you helping people with loss? Like you've had so much loss in your life. You know, I've just shared two, two with you. I've had so many more. You know, I 16, I found myself pregnant and I chose to adopt my daughter out because it was 1973 and that's what you sort of did then or that's what you were coerced into doing then, which we have learned through our growth. And she is in my life, but it is has been a hard road. And it's, you know, the things that come into our life and we just sort of pick ourselves up and we move on and we grow and all those sort of things. So what I found was when when she said to me, I sort of went, yeah, you're right. And I had heard it earlier, but I wasn't ready to go there because in my mind, loss was death and people, most people I met were sad. I was never sad. I miss Dan, but I have such a spiritual beliefs which have enhanced certainly since he passed but even before he passed even though I was very much into my corporate and into my left brain I was also always in my right brain as well so I have this spiritual understanding and that you know we all come here for a reason we all will have things to grow and learn from we the ones who set up our challenges so it's all right for me to go why the hell did I choose to lose two children you know it's unbelievable why, why would any sane person choose that road it's such a hard road but I know that it's all about spiritual growth and I, and learning and growing so I had that belief and like Dan's a co-founder of the Chasing Center I he's with me every single way except physically 
Sometimes I think I spend more time with him than I do with his siblings, but that's okay sort of thing. But what I found was I had to deep dive into loss because I did it the hard way. Most people do it the hard way. We are very ignorant when it comes to the best way forward to move with loss. We have a lack of loss intelligence is the way I like to phrase it. And it's time for us to actually understand that and to receive and to grow from the experience and to receive the gift. Now, I want to clarify because a lot of people misunderstand when I say the gift of loss. There is no gift in Dan passing. There is no gift in the loss event. The gift comes after. The gift comes with who you become because of what has happened, how you choose to be after that. You're never going to be the same. There, you, you can try. You can try to go back. You can look at the last three years and everyone goes, when are we going to go back to normal? And it's like, what is normal? There is no such thing as normal. What you can't make us as normal is not normal to me and, and for anyone. So you, it's about realising and accepting your life has changed. You know, whatever has happened, you know, if it's a job loss, you are not going to back to, go to that workplace. If it's a divorce, you are now going to be hopefully happily separated, especially if you have children. But you have that choice. It doesn't, it can be an amicable divorce. It doesn't have to be acrimonious. So, yeah, so the more I deep dived into loss, the more I sort of brought in my, my, a thing that I used to do at work, I was always looking for that better way with like, especially something that was a mundane task, you know, we didn't have AI around as much as what we do now. And it was like, oh my God, I just can't, it has to be a better way. So I was looking for that better way. And that's what I did with the way that I had processed my two major loss events, you know, with dam passing and then redundancy so close after it, because I love my job and I was really good at my job. And But I knew that it was time for me to move on. So then when I deep dived into loss, I just created this five-step process and it made sense. And it was, it's, was, I guess, counterintuitive, but complete opposite to what most people process loss and have been doing for centuries. And I just went, oh, wow. So I ran with it. And then the more I started working with people with it, the more I started to feel, imagine if I understood this when I was in my corporate life, if mm. I understood people the way I understood profits, how different would have I been? What different leader would I have been? What different workplace would have I be part of creating because of this knowledge? And that's when I created the People Profits Connection. So yes. everything is a flow and I know that I had to be in that environment for me to want to enhance that environment. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the grieving process and, and how we deal with loss. Like I said, we're not taught how to do that. We're not taught to grieve. We're not allowed sometimes to grieve. It's like, oh, yeah. just take a well, deep yeah. breath and keep going. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why is that so difficult for people? There are cultures that really handle loss well. Mm -hmm. and, and They are, but and they're not in the West. <laughs> no, no. They're not in the West. Well, for my for my understanding and and I guess for my knowing or, or beliefs, whatever you want to call it, I call it a knowing. Um, it's because people don't know what to do, so they're uncomfortable. And if you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say, let's avoid it. Like you know, if if and I, I go back to when I had my daughter when I was sixteen, it was literally okay. 
that has happened. We will now never talk about it again. We will now move on. There was no counselling. There was It was all disenfranchised grief um, from my behalf. I had to grieve in silence and I just pushed it down and pushed it down and pushed it down. And I took on a lot of beliefs that, that came about, but it was also wrong, you know, and that's just one example. But I feel that most people, because of our lack of loss intelligence, is why we don't grieve properly. I can remember talking to a, a young man a couple of years ago, but even before, I think it was very early 2020, before March, I think it might have been January 2020, and he said, Karen, I have just been to a funeral of a close school friend of ours and there was 10 of us in a huddle and we were all going, we have to say something to his parents, like we've been in their home many times, we, we know them, what do we say? And they all stood around and they're going, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, what, what do we do, what do we do? And most of them did nothing. They did not walk up to the parents because they didn't know what to do. And he said, tell me, what would have been the best way for us to handle it? And I said, that's what you could have done. He goes, what do you mean? I said, walked up to them and said, I don't know what to say. I have, I have no words. I don't know what you're going through, but I would like to be here for you. Please tell me the best way for you for me to do that. Yeah. And he went, oh, my God, that's so simple. I said, yeah. I said, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They're, this is the first time they've experienced this. They don't know. And they understand that most people don't know. It's so much better than walking up to someone and saying, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, that phrase to me, and it never worried me, and I know I used it before Dan passed, but I got it at me so many times that I ended up going, that is such a tick-the-box response. And if you see, and you, and then the more you'll see it in movies, you know, when the police go and tell someone something has happened, it's it, and even the way they say it is, I've ticked that boss. I'm sorry for your loss. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh my god, don't don't say that. Say it and get it over with, right? Yeah, that's what it is. I'm so uncomfortable. I just want to make sure that I get this out, and then that's it. Family, yeah. How's the rest? It is such compared to my heartfelt condolences. I truly don't know what you're going through. Like you can just feel the difference in 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 that response because no one knows. So I feel loss is because we are not educated. And my five-step process, believe me, I think should be taught in schools, you know, around the 16 to 18 um, age group. Would you remember it? Maybe not. But when a major loss comes to you, it'll be like that maths problem, you know, that you're in your 30s and you go, oh, what was that formula again? How do I do it? And you go looking up. And that's what I would see people as doing because it just makes sense. And it's the opposite of keep busy, give it time, everything will be all right, all these cliches that we've had. You know, at Dan's funeral, I even had someone come up to me and I and I know it was because they were uncomfortable and they said, you're lucky you have other children. Wow. Exactly. And I just went, interesting. And I just mm. went, yeah. You know, and I just thought, what a response. And I, I get it. Like, I totally get it. Um, but it was like, mm, maybe we should have rethought that one before we actually yeah. said it, if that makes sense. Because, But it is the uncomfortable. It's the not knowing what to say. So even just teaching people to say, I don't know what to say. And and leave it at that because most exactly. people would go, yeah, you're right. What have I done? I've rearranged my talk. 
<laughs> so what is that? You say you have a five-step yeah. process that you can help yeah. people learn. Can you can you talk to us about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'd love to. So the first step is to stop. Complete opposite of keep busy, give it time. You got to stop. I didn't stop. I returned to work the day after Dan's funeral. And the and the and the, in the stopping, that's where you take that breath, that conscious loving breath. You know the one where you breathe deep down into your belly, and then in your belly is the nerve endings of the vagus nerve, and the vagus nerves goes all the way up to your hypothalamus, which is the brain center. So you're breathing into your brain. So and you're breathing past your heart into your belly up to your brain. So you've got that cycle working. So what you're actually doing is you're enacting your three brains your heart, your head, your heart, and your gut. Because that's where most of us, all of us, need to come from. We're too much in our head. You know, even just taking that 12-inch journey into your heart will help you at that time. So when you stop and you do this breathing, you can then start to ask yourself the questions. What does this mean for me now? Where am I going? You know, how, how can I process this? What's the best thing for me now? And the best thing for me now may be to go and have a lie down. It, it's, it's in the moment. So you're bringing yourself into every moment. So you start, what is the best thing for me now? What is a better feeling thought? What is it? So you're continually being very conscious and very much in the moment. And the more, and then you start to obviously expand your, I guess, your world, but you've got to start with yourself. Because you've got to know what's in my husband and I process Dan's, um, and he, my husband is his father. Um, you never know in the world, in the world that we live in. Um, so he, he, we both process Dan's passing completely different, the complete way, completely different way. And, and so it's about knowing what's best for me and then what's best for my life and what does it mean for me now. So once you get past the stopping stage, you move on to the next one, which is the acceptance. Right. So that's step two is acceptance. So in, in acceptance, you start to go even broader out. You start to go, okay, this has happened. This is my new life. This is my new reality. What does it mean for now? And then you go into identify. So identify is where you deep dive into your hopes, dreams, and aspirations that you had for this relationship. So what you've lost is a relationship. Okay. And it could be a person, place, or thing. So you've got to understand you and identify what your relationship was. So your hopes, dreams, and aspirations in relationship to this relationship, and you start to identify, okay, the things that can still happen, sure, differently, but because of the loss of this relationship, they can still happen. So you start to identify that. Then you start to also identify, we come back to the relationship, and you start to identify things that you would like to apologize for things that you would like to forgive and things that you'd like to acknowledge because in every relationship there's two people and we both do and say things that we wish we hadn't. We also do and say things that we wish we had that we didn't do. So the more we deep dive into this relationship, now it's really important to understand that there's three aspects to every relationship. So there's a physical the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we experience together. Then there's the emotional, the very much how we're connected and the, you know, the emotions that come up around it. We've got to identify our emotions through the whole relationship. And then, of course, there's a spiritual access, a, aspect of it, which is 
We know we're connected. We're not really sure why we're so connected, but we know there's more to it. So when the relationship ends for whatever reason, the only thing that changes is the physical. The physical is no longer the same as it was before. You know, in Dan's case, he obviously passed. But in a divorce, you now have a different, you won't touch each other the way you used to. Um, But it's understanding those three aspects of it. So once you've identified all of that, so you've stopped, you've accepted, and then you've identified, then you go on to complete the relationship. So when I mean complete the relationship is you're always going to be emotionally and spiritually connected. So it's about completing the physical relationship and bringing it to a close. So it's so that you will no longer grieve the relationship. You may have sadness about it, but that's completely different. But And that's what it is. And through this process, we bring in that apologize, forgive, and acknowledge. And we bring it into a beautiful letter. And we read it out loud to someone, never the person, whether they're in this realm or not, because they just needs to be read out and physically put out there. The other person will feel it. And that is the complete relationship. And then the fifth step is the pivot. And that's where you deep dive into all areas of your life and you start to create where you would like to be in all areas of your life and then design it in such a way that I can close that gap and close that gap so I can get to there. That's the five step gift of loss process. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, when I first saw that it's one of the speaking topics you like to talk about is the gift of loss. And I was, it's like, how is that a gift? How do you make that a gift? But now I understand what you're saying about you can use that to close that relationship. Yeah. Right. Make it complete rather than complete that relationship and then move forward. Yeah. Because one of the things, and I didn't realize this until I was probably about 55, 56. And I was like, hmm. I'm a really intelligent woman. Like, why did it take me so long to get this aspect? And what it is, is you are the only person you are going to spend your entire life with. You do not spend 24-7 with anyone else. So why is it that you are putting yourself last and giving up on your hopes and dreams and aspirations and not achieving what you came here to achieve? So that, I guess, is the gift of loss essence. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So I know you work with people uh, with loss, but you also work with businesses to help them create yeah. a better environment for their people. Talk yes. to me about that. How do you how do you use what you've learned with the businesses? Yeah. So it's, it's called the People Profits Connection, and it's a three-step process, this one. And the first step is the you factor right? Because we don't deep dive into us. We don't understand us. So that's where we deep dive into the person. And that's why I love to say, give me your worst employee. I will make them one of your best or I'll get them to leave. Because I know that when you start to reconnect to who you are, you will start to look at things differently. And if you're in a wrong environment and you are disengaged and you're even maybe actively disengaged, so you're causing a lot of havoc in where you are in your environment, in your workplace, I know that once you reconnect to you, you will actually honour yourself and respect yourself and you'll go, right, I'm in the wrong place. What do I do from here? And that's why I can guarantee if you give me that worst employee, I will do either 
Um, so once you so once you know who you are and where you're going in all areas of your life, and in the Chaston uh, Centre Wellness World, we have nine areas of life, and I purposely wanted nine because nine is the energy of endings. Um, nine and one is all about new beginnings. So you've got to come to that conclusion with the nine and say, okay, I want to end, you know, I want to stop doing things. I want to start doing things. I want to continue doing things. So you've got to come to that conclusion. And that's why I created nine. So we deep dive into the nine. So you know where you're going in all areas of your life. And you set up a practice where you are actively enhancing those whole nine areas of life on a weekly basis. Good thing is you don't have to spend as much time in each area of life, but we can, but it's a conscious effort of actually let's move ourselves forward. Then the next step is the know, like, and trust factor. Now, the know, like, and trust factor is not a market employee. It is let's get to know, like, and trust our our fellow um, employees or colleagues, whatever you want to call them, from the janitor all the way to the chairman of the board. Because once you start to know people and understand them and you go from actually saying what's wrong with you to what's happened to you, because when we understand people and we understand where they're at, obviously we're going to create a true team dynamic workplace and we understand what their role is. And more importantly, we may even create system, better systems where we go, do you know what, you're doing that? Well, I do that for this reason. How about we combine those things and make it better? Because more likely, especially in a large workplace, you've got multiple people doing the same same task for a different outcome, but they're still doing the same thing. So let's all come together and let's make that start to innovate, start to trust, start to watch each other's back, and, you know, and to have each other's back instead of continually overlooking, going, oh, my no, who's coming for me now? And then from there, we recreate the resilience factor. Now, anyone can learn resilience. You're not born with it or born without it. It's just about knowing what to do when things happen. And yeah, so that's the that's what I love to do with in in companies. Um, it's amazing how different the the way we look at things is. That's that's what it simply comes down to. You know, back to Wayne Dyer. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, and that's exactly what happens. So yeah, wow. Yeah, I like the what you said about you'll either help the employee or you'll help yeah. them leave. Because yeah. working with my clients, one thing we, we start off with is like, what are your core values, right? Yeah. Because every decision you make is based on your core values in your business. If you set those core values, every decision you make within the company is yeah. based on those values. If the core value and, and this particular employee, if they don't fit, the employee is going to be uncomfortable. They're not going to be as, as uh, you know, performing at their, their yeah. best. Maybe it's better for them to find someplace where they can thrive. And exactly. for somebody to come back in, right? So it's yeah, it is exactly. a win-win. Yeah. You know, it's the old getting a fish to climb a tree. It's not right. going to happen. Yeah. Right. And yeah. why hold that person back and say you're a failure? That's not what they're here for, right? No, but they just get into that routine and they get into the, well, I'm here for the money and I can't leave and these are the skills that I have, but it's, you know, and that's that's what the U factor does. It helps them to identify where they really want to be and what are the skills that you require 
And if you and if you you know are going okay, I need this, this, this skills, and it's like, well, maybe if I actually performed a little bit better here, this company will pay for me to actually learn those skills, um, and I might find that a I want to stay because I'm now in a different role and different way forward, or it's like it just makes more sense. They're just not thinking. They need a new perspective. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, on the program, we talk about courage. Um, Where do you find the courage to leave the nine to five to create your success? Where do you find the courage to overcome the setbacks, uh, the illnesses, death, divorce, bankruptcy? Where do you find your courage? Where did that come from? I don't know. I sort of, it it was so funny, you know, on the day that Dan passed, I had a message from my, he was my boss. He was my boss when I originally started at the company that I was at, at that stage. And he had moved on, I think, about a year earlier. And and he said, Karen, you're so strong, you'll be fine. And I remember thinking when I read it, but what if I don't want to be? And and I knew I would be. And I and but sometimes you just think, oh, can't I not be the strong one? You know, if if that makes sense. If it but you do, you find your inner strength and and I guess it's in my DNA, you know, I look back and and when I was writing um, my first book, which you wouldn't have even seen, I actually have nine books. I, I just don't promote it now. Okay. And the reason I don't promote it is my Live Love by Design is an updated version of my first one. And the first one is called The Journey to Becoming Your Own Best Friend. And and it's just outdated to who I am now. I wrote it in 2014, so it's completely, yeah, different to who I am. But I, when I wrote that book and I started talking about, um, you know, that losing us about my journey, I realised that both of my grandmothers had lost a child. My my mum's mum had six children, and the only one who outlived her was my mother. And mm. you know, all of her children, five she buried five children, none of them got to 60, um, which is huge. And my mum's now just about to turn 93, so it's huge. Um, and then and then my grandmother lost a child and my grandmother lost a house during the Depression and and then my mother lost their first child. My mother, first child, there, she was also a girl, and they, the cord was wrapped around her neck and she strangled at birth. And the doctor said to her, you're not going to have any more children. They're all going to be born that way. Seven children later <laughs> sort of thing. So, you know, doctors didn't know that much in 52, I guess. But Yeah, but it's incredible that they even said that. But mm. so I guess it, it, it is in my DNA. It, it is in, in there a little bit. But what I also found is that you've got to find a better way. That has been, I guess, a bit of my theme. You know, got to find a better way, got to find a better way. I think that's where my courage comes from is I've got to find that better way. So it's probably that little bit of curiosity, that little bit of um, bucking the system. It's, I guess it's a mixture of all of that, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And there are different types of courage, right, that we tap into. Oh, yeah. Um, intellectual courage, we talk about um, having the, the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs or the knowledge you have to make room for new knowledge. Yeah. There's always new knowledge. Uh, the empathetic courage, social yeah. courage. Is there a type of courage you think is? is I think that intellectual one, you know, the, and the more that you describe it, it's 
it really is something for you to look at yourself, and that's why the you factor is so important, to look at yourself, to deep dive into your beliefs and to actually even figure out if they are even your beliefs because more than likely they're not your beliefs. You've brought them on from your parents, grandparents, you know, teachers, whoever, and to actually go, this belief isn't serving me, so I'm going to change that belief. And when you actually come to that, I'm going to change this belief. So I'm going to look at, you know, opposites. And it's surprising how often you can find as many things that make the belief true as you can that make it not true. But you've got to do that exercise and you've got to come to that. So coming to that for me was huge because I would sit there and argue my point with people forever, you know, throwing my beliefs onto them. And and now it's like, that's an interesting belief you have. It's like, just let it go sort of thing. And, and you know, meanwhile, thinking to yourself, hmm. But what I've also found is, which was really good about, you know, your physicality and understanding things, when I have people speaking to me and sharing their beliefs, which I am certainly not going to take on, I will listen to them and I won't argue them. I'll just go, okay, fair enough. I will cross my legs. And I very rarely cross my legs because when you're open, when you don't cross your legs and you're open, especially have things coming in, you know, to your sacral area and and into there and taking it up into your gut and all that. So I'll cross my legs so I'll stop that information coming in so it will stop me from doing thing. And that's something I learned from Ellie Drake, actually. And I thought, wow. And we do, we take on things physically we take on energy and we don't realise we're taking it on. So, yeah, it's a great way to, to stop that coming in. But one of the courages that, you know, when I was researching it to make sure I understood them all for this thing, spiritual courage is, you know, I've always had a spiritual belief. You know, I was brought up Catholic and I knew that was, I got a lot of good values from that um, Catholicism, but I also got a lot of crap. Um, and I also, and, and, I, and, I, and I stopped practising when as soon as I left home at 18. But I also... Um, I also knew that there was more, like there's more, the universe, spirituality, God, whatever you want to call it, I always knew that there was more. And I have deep dived into a lot of amazing spiritual books that are out there. And and the more that I take it on and understand it, there's a great book that really does bring in the essence of it, and it's called Radical Forgiveness by Colin Tipping. Have you read that, Harlan? No, no. Oh, it's an amazing book. So the whole concept of it is no one does anything to you. They do it for you. Okay. Now, this is not an easy concept to embrace, especially when you've had a lot of abuse towards you right? It's not an easy concept. And you don't condone the action. You look for the higher reason for it. Now, we're all here. We're all spiritual beings. We're all on a journey and to learn lessons, to grow spiritually. And it's really dense down here and it's not easy. Um, But when we start to look at people who are maybe our abuser, it's like, how is this for me? How is this helping me? And more than likely, it's helping you to find your voice. It's helping you to set your boundaries. It's helping you to grow and to become the person who you came here to be. And you've, you know, probably have to go through a lot of this sort of stuff to come to it. 
you know, for example, with my daughter's father, I was angry at him for a very long time that he wasn't the person that I wanted to marry. And I only wanted to marry him once. And I just knew if I married him at, you know, 16 or 17 with a child, we probably wouldn't last. But he, And I also thought that he wasn't the person that, you know, who I wanted to live the rest of my life with. And I was angry at him, you know, because of that, I had to give up my child. I only had those two options. Um, so, and then you go, no, this was our growth. You know, my daughter and I chose this life so that we could grow spiritually through having these experiences. So that spiritual intelligence and, and understanding it um, is not easy but it does help you to not fear death. It helps you to know that you are going on to another thing. And I think that's where the the courage comes from. Um, I don't preach it to anyone, which I think is is good. I'll share my ideas, Mm. take them, dismiss them. That's okay. It doesn't really matter. But I find great comfort in everything that I do. It gives you purpose. That's And that's what it is. I think it's the purpose. We have to be, we must be going through all of this for a purpose. Right. If it wasn't for that incident, you may not have found your voice. You may not have found your courage. You may not have found your strength. Exactly. Exactly. And finding your voice is, especially for women, is huge because we're told, don't act like that. Don't do that. I had so many well-meaning men with their advice. Don't act like that, Karen, if you want to go ahead. Don't be that person. Don't be so loud. And I am very loud. Um, I'm one of seven children, like, and I'm the shortest of seven children. You have to be loud sort of yes. thing. Yes. And, you know, but it, but it is, and it's really surprising. You know, my mother, we'd all go out. And she'd go, sure, sure, everyone's watching. And we'd go, who cares? They only just want to come and join us, you know, sort of thing, because we are so loud. Um, but, yeah, but, no, it is finding your voice and learning how to say no, you know, no, without a reason. Just say no. Men do it so beautifully. They say no, and they don't say their reasons why, and they just go, no. Well, and not, not that's all. what women yeah, not all, because I, I know some people who the excuses is yeah. longer than the rest of the conversation, right? It just yeah, and you don't do that because then they'll re- they'll rearrange their um their request, so you just go no, and that's it. I I had a friend in school that you would ask him a question, he'd stop for a second to think. He'd go no, yeah, no thanks, and and that was it. You'd never question because that was the end of it, you know. But and that's and that's what it should be for everyone. Yeah. It's no, that doesn't serve me. I've I've got this little thing that if you ask for a request, you know, a little exercise I go through. Will it bring me joy? Will it move me closer to my goals? Will it will it I actually, you know, gray gain a lot from doing this? And if it's no, 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 it's easy. No. It's easy. Yeah. Make it easy. easy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things are too complicated as it is. Yeah. So the Chasten group, how many mm-hmm. People do you have working for you? Well, there's me and I've got a couple of like little PAs and stuff. But yeah. But I, but in saying that though, I have a whole lot of people who are ready as we grow and grow and grow. Right. I'm doing a lot of collaborations at the moment. 
So I guess, you know, and that's the way forward. And what's really interesting, I know that even just a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have been as open to collaborations as what I am now. And I'm sitting here going, why weren't I? You know, and obviously I wasn't at that stage, but I feel that's what the last few years was about for us to truly come together and actually grow together and do things with other people because it's lonely doing stuff by yourself and you always find an excuse to get distracted and all those sort of things. Whereas when you're doing things together and when I, what I mean by collaboration is it's not, you know, you, me working for you or whatever, it's a true 50-50 um, we're doing this and everything we split and even to the point, like I'm working on one now, I'm doing a, a two-day um, retreat workshop with um, another lady and at the end she doesn't have the programs that I have to on-sell at the end and I'm literally like, yeah, well, but, you know, whatever I sell, we split 50-50 and she's going, seriously? And I said, yeah. I said, that's what collaboration is about. I said, because, and that's how we create it and I said, I have no problem with that. And she goes, oh, okay then. And then she was like, right, well, I'm going to create this program and this program so I can do the same thing. So it just makes so much more sense. That's awesome. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you have a few people you work with. Um, at, when you were a CFO, yep. CPA, you had other people working for you. If yeah. I was to bump into in any of those people, bump into them on the road and ask them what type of leader you are, what mm-hmm. would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? Oh, you know what? The leader who I was in my corporate environment is probably not the leader I'd like you to think for for them to share. I was very, um, I guess, ignorance is probably the best way. You know, I had this thing where, like, I I was also, I was very, very giving, but I was also very, I do it the best. I do it the quickest. Do it my way and we'll get things done quickly. Mm. And which is so wrong. Like we live in the world in an infinite universe. There's an infinite number of ways of doing anything. Why would I think my way, which worked for me, would work for everyone else? It was so ignorant. So I, um, yeah, I've, I just find it so interesting. I know the leader I would be now, you know, would be completely different. I'd be very empathetic. I would be very much, I, and I was also very, what's wrong with you? Like, why can't you get this? Whereas now it would be, what's happened to you? Let's sit and talk and understand each other. And then we can go from there. I would have been completely different um, to who I was there. But yeah, I um, I look back and I just go, oh my God, I can't oh, believe I was like that. But which is good though, because then when I see it in other people, I can guide them and I can suggest a better way. And most of them go, oh yeah. I never thought of it that way. And it's all perspective. You know, I was very tunnel vision. I was very, you know, my professional life was just so much um, where I was living and it was so wrong. It was just so wrong. Yeah, I wasn't, as I said, I left and I looked in the mirror and I went, I don't like you. And you make changes and you grow. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you know, I, a lot of the times I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you and you can, you know, add, ed, edit it in, is I share these, my two passport photos, one's from 2007 and one's from 2017. 
And I look 10 years younger in the 17 one and then I do in the 07. In the 07, my eyes are dead. I'm carrying more weight. I look very masculine. Um, but the eyes, the eyes are the ones. And I've done nothing apart from deep dive into me and learn how to love me and to become my own best friend. And it makes you look younger. It it, it makes you feel younger. It's your whole perspective is is just so much out there. And that's what I love to share with people. And it's not about looking younger and all that sort of stuff, but what it is is about coming out and having your essence and your goodness and your from inside out. It's it's amazing how different I am. That's why I shout out. Yeah. Yeah. But but in saying that, you know, like I, I have had a lot of um former bosses say to me that, you know, you were amazing, you were this, all that sort of stuff. I um I worked in a before my CFO role. I was a financial controller for um, a Novotel um, here, so I worked for a core. And you know, they the, my the general manager there said I have never had a uh, financial controller come in and train every leader on understanding financials. And I mm. said, but they need to understand financials. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I know, but normally they've just done it and just said this is it. But, no, I got them involved in everything. And most of them have gone on to become GMs and stuff like that. And it's like, well, and they all thank me. So I did, like, I was very giving mm. uh, with my knowledge. I always love to share things. I always love to learn from so many people as well. So, yeah, even though you tend to go to, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that as a leader. <laughs> so ignorant. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and this has been, this has been amazing. I wanted to go back to one thing you said earlier. You said that you had a three-way conversation with yeah. Dan. Yeah. Tell me about that. How did that happen? Oh, it was so amazing. So I was writing my second book, which is called uh, Beyond a Mother's Worst Nightmare. And this was my journey at that stage. It was in 2014. So it was like my three-year journey since Dan had passed. And I was guiding people on, you know, a, a possible best way forward for them because I found it for me. And I sent it to a friend of mine in America who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, who I had met through Braveheart Women. And she, um, I just sent her the script. I said, I've been guided to send this to you, you know, um, can you read it and let me know? And then she came back a day or so later and she said, I've been told to stop reading. And I went, what? And she goes, yeah, Dan has come through and said, stop reading it. I want you to organise a three-way conversation with him. And when she said it, I went, oh, I didn't know you did that. Like I knew you read people's energy. I said, I didn't know that you did that. She goes, of course. So anyway, so she said she said he has a couple of ground rules that he wants and they were really easy for me to to go, yeah, 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 yeah. So we set it up and we had a, a conversation and it, they, it was him. He was telling me everything. He told me about his depth. So I'm going to go in and this may freak a few people out, but I'm going to tell you. So when he was talking about how he passed, right, because the first thing he said was, Mum, stop telling people it was the alcohol that killed me because it wasn't. And he said, yes, I drank way too much. But he said that wasn't what killed me. And it's important for people to know. And I went, okay. So he told me the story. And then when he told me, I was obviously crying. And I said, oh, Dan, I'm so sorry. Your dad and I were asleep in the front bedroom. 
and here you are dying in the back. I said, did you know you were passing? And he said, yes, I did. And I wanted life. He said, I really wanted it, but I just knew I wasn't going to get to keep it. And I said, I'm so sorry that we weren't there. He goes, don't worry, Mum. You and Dad Austral travelled and you helped me pass. And I went, holy S, and I won't say it. I went, holy S. I said, I knew that we all Austral travelled at night during our sleep, but I didn't know we did things like that. And he goes, yeah, we do everything when we're asleep and we're off in the upper universes and doing whatever. He said, you'd be amazed at what we do when we actually sleep. And I just went, oh, my God, and I just felt so much better. So, yeah, I know it'll freak a few of your viewers out, but that's what we do, and now I find that very comforting. That is awesome. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's great. It's great to think that you you were there. Your spirit was there helping. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is probably for about a month, six weeks before Dan passed, so they lived under our house. Um, we were living in Sydney then. I'm now on the Gold Coast in Queensland. So um, we were living in Sydney in a beautiful beachside suburb. We overlooked a lake and he lived under our house, like not in a Harry Potter cupboard, but, you know, in a in a proper sort of area downstairs. And there was two windows around their sort of little lounge room area. And he kept seeing, and there was no blinds on them because there was no needs to have any blinds on them, you know, sort of thing. So he kept seeing these two men and, you know, he said, oh, I keep seeing these two men and I'm going, okay. So I put blinds up for him and he kept seeing them, but he stopped telling me because when he'd tell me, I'd get angry going, well, who are these men? You know, there's no such thing and all this sort of stuff. Remember, I was very much in my masculine then, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I go, oh. so he stopped telling me, but Georgie, his girlfriend, told me that he kept seeing them up until he passed. And my husband and I, and I asked Dan, and he said it was true in this free rate conversation that because we came to the conclusion that it was our dads because both our dads had passed. Mm. So we came to the conclusion that they were coming so he could get used to them so that they, because you'll always have your past loved ones there with you as you pass to guide you. Um, and then, so, yeah, so they were just preparing him for them, wow. which is sort of scary, but it's sort of good too. I think it's good. Oh, yeah. I think it's good to have, have family. Yeah, to know that we yeah. we feel like we, you know, we're alone, but we're not. There's always people, you know, I read a book in 2001, which, which really helped me. And it was 10 years before Dan passed and it's called um, Life on the Other Side. Life on the Other Side. I can't remember what it's called. It's by Sylvia Brown. It might be, I can't remember what it's called. I think it might be Life on the Other Side. I don't know. I've forgotten the name of it. I can't believe it. Anyway, it's a book by Sylvia Brown. And she, in that she is a, a, she was an American clairvoyant, well-known medium. And she, um, from her guides, they told us, you know, she wrote what we do before we come down here, how we set our life up, what happens when we're here, what happens when we go back. And I found great comfort in remembering that when Dan passed because when we go back we all are greeted by all our past loved ones and then we have a party and then we do a life review. 
And a life review is this is what you've set out to do and this is what you did. Why are there so many differences? Because that's your next spiritual journey, you know, in figuring all that out. So I thought I found great comfort in it. And because he passed so suddenly, a lot of people weren't coping so well. So I bought 10 copies of that book and I gave it out to people and it really helped them to come back to the, oh, this is what Dan's doing, this is where he's journeying and stuff like that. But he had superpowers right from the start. Like at his funeral, no, nothing worked. You know, he made sure that we couldn't show this video of him that may have made him look a bit, you know, as he was, a bit of a larrikin and all that sort of stuff. He was like, no, 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 we're not doing that. I've got powers now. We're stopping that sort of thing. But in saying that, you know, so many people, it rained a little bit. Um, on the day of his funeral, so many people saw rainbows, so many people saw Dan number plates um, as they were driving to or from, you know, the um, the funeral to the wake and all that sort of stuff. So it was really interesting how he very quickly showed us. I was in New Zealand one time in a, in a group uh, with Braveheart Women, uh, probably early, I don't think I'd written my book, so I think it was early 2014. And, you know, I was out walking with a, mo- a girlfriend who was with me and she said, I'm going to run back. And I said, okay, you run back. I'm going to walk back. And on the number, on the footpath was a Dan, you know, um, in, you know, written into the cement. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, sort of thing. And I was like, okay, he's got approval. I'm in the right spot sort of thing. So it's amazing how he shows up all the time. He's always showing us that he's around. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. I believe they are around. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You just got to look for the signs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, Karen. Thank you so much. This has been this has been just as great as I thought it was going to be. Oh, so good. I'm so glad you said that. This is going to be a great conversation. Yeah. This is it's probably different to where you went, though. Where you no, thought this is perfect. Oh, cool. This is perfect. So if people want to learn more about you and the yeah. Chasen Center and, and things you do and how you can help them, how can they do that? What's your website? So the website is thechastencenter.com, but center is spelt the English way, not the American way. So C-E-N-T-R-E dot com. And, you know, from there you can easily find me. There's videos on there. There's explanations. So, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. I'm in all the other places, just type in Karen Chasen. I've got such a unique name that I sort of come up pretty well at the top whenever you type Karen Chasen into Google. So that's good. Yeah. And your books, they're available on Amazon? Yes, they are. They are all available on there um, or through my website. Uh, there's a bookshelf on my website, so you can easily get them. The, the gratitude journals, you can get them on Amazon, but they're hard, they're soft-covered. But if you buy them through me, which is roughly the same, uh, um, you can get the hard-covered ones, okay, which, right. are, yeah, really, they just they just came to me, the Elements Collection gratitude journals where we can yeah, do. Deep- you took a lot of the photos. Yeah, I took all of the photos except for in fire. I couldn't take the fire photos because I thought if I show up all these fires, I'll go, who is this arsonist around here? (laughs) So I don't think. So I. Yeah, so the fire (laughs) photos I didn't take, but every other one I did. The Earth Gratitude Journal, oh my God, 99 photos I required for the book because there's 99 days of gratitude. And I decided that the best place to take it is out at Uluru, which is in a centre of Australia. It's, you know, a big rock. And because it's a protected area, you know, it's very, you know, Aboriginal and, mm-hmm. and our um, 
our original inhabitants of, of our amazing country, we there's quite a respect. So they don't want, you know, men's and women's business to, you know, be seen and all that sort of stuff. So I had to get approval. I took over a thousand photos and I was getting to the stage thinking, I don't think I'm going to get my 99 because no, you can't show that, you can't show this, all this sort of stuff. But I, I did get there in the end, thankfully. I didn't have to go back and take some more photos from there. But it's such an amazing spiritual place. And, you know, when I went there, um, I, well, I went there, when did I go there? I think it was 2016 when we created that. And so then I was nearly 60 and I was like, why has it taken me so long to come here? You know, mm. and just walking around and listening to the stories and listening to and understanding their culture, which unfortunately our education is not the way it is. So we have formed these biases and all these sort of things which aren't fact. And I'm sure it's the same, you know, in your country if you're Indigenous as well, that when you get into and you understand, you know, what they're about and why they do certain things, when they do it, how they really do value the land and, you know, and their families and all those sort of things. It was amazing. I was like every Anglo-Saxon Australian should come to Uluru before they're 21 to really to embrace us into our culture, into our land, to understand it. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And I love the, I, I love all of my, um, I, the first one was water because I live near water and then air and then I did fire and then I did earth last. Um, and I just love them all. They're amazing. They're, they're really great gratitude journals. And the reason I wanted to create them was I formed a gratitude practice after Dan's past. And as beautiful the books were where I would write my gratitude, they were pretty on the outside, but they were just blank pages on the inside. And that's why I wanted to create this beautiful on the inside as well for you to share your gratitude. Because we're all beautiful on the inside. Absolutely. And we Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. I will have those links um, and, and links to your books, links to your website. Um, you're active on LinkedIn also, right? Yes, very on active LinkedIn. on LinkedIn. Always there. Love it. Well, I will have all that in the show notes so people can get in touch with you and, and follow you. And Thank you. Books. Thank you, Helen. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's Absolutely. been amazing. No, this has been great. All right, listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of notes, a lot of good information here. Definitely check out all the books and the gratitude journals because gratitude is something we don't embrace enough. Yeah, and heal your losses yeah. because we bury them. Yeah, It's all about healing them, learning from Absolutely. them, finding that gift. Nice. All right, and share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified whenever a new episode drops and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.